audio interview with Andrew Colvin, recorded December 12th, 2010. Hey, if you have not read John Keel's Mothman Prophecies, uh, which I highly recommend, this interview might not make so much sense. I feel like I'm uh, fairly familiar with the events of 1966 and 1967 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and I have also listened to a handful of other interviews, some of which are excellent, which are which will be linked in the show notes, uh, with Andy Colvin, and uh, the guy's fascinating. I will also say that when I talked with Adam Gorightly, he was somewhat insistent that I talk to Andrew, and um, he said that uh, I reminded him of him. Uh, and having talked with uh, Andrew now for a while, uh, I can see what he's getting at. Um, um, Andy and I are both a little bit all over the map, uh, which makes for an interesting duo when it comes time for a conversation. That, that uh, There's no attempt at all to be linear. There's no beginning, middle, or end to this interview. Uh, I sort of have a soft spot for that kind of thing. The events and concepts that are that are shared and explored uh, in this conversation um, get pretty deep, and, and I'm I'm still a little thunderstruck by uh, the sheer volume of strangeness that has followed this guy Andrew around. I'm taking him at his word. Uh, you know, I, I have not uh, made any attempt to to research his claims. I'm just trusting him, uh, and that that feels fine at this point, because, uh, I don't know, I have my own set of odd memories, and people seem to trust me, and, and I respect that. At some point, there'll be a follow-up interview where we'll uh, hopefully do do things a little more linear and a little more pragmatic, and I encourage you to um, enjoy the hour and a half. I found Andy perfectly fascinating. Please enjoy. And do you know anything about the, what I what I do and what my set of experiences? I've listen to your show a couple times here and there and it's been a while i've just been so busy with my some of my stuff oh, great. Um, oh so you have so you have stumbled on my site okay good good so um um and i'll just say that i mean you know th- this is in a way a show for me you know like this is so I'm, I'm coming from a very very personal level i'm not trying to entertain and i'm not trying to um you know to, like, to please all people i like that excellent Excellent. We have so here. I'll just jump right into it, and we can we can get rolling. Um, hey, Andy, I just want to say thank you so much for saying yes to the interview. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Good. And usually, I go through and I write out a bunch of questions ahead of time. And I made an effort to listen to your some of your other uh, audio interviews as well as um, you know reading what I could online. Um, I do not have any of your books, so um, I apologize. I love to do to read up on um, your written work. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to read them through straight um, for some people just because they jump around a lot. Uh, and it's it's a strange, the books are kind of a strange mixture of spiritual stuff and uh, conspiracy stuff. And uh, and there's it, just, just a lot of detail in it because that was my idea was to document all these crazy synchronicities that were going on uh, when we were investigating Mothman. And, this, and define like you, what you mean by a crazy synchronicity. Uh, all manner of uh, things involving numbers, names, uh, images, things being nonlinear, like uh, getting a message about something now that you don't understand because the answer comes later. Yes. And, and it's so striking that you can't say it's just coincidence. Like, 
there was this uh, one time when I was filming, and I was sitting under this elevated expressway in Seattle, and I was thinking, you know, they're going to they're going they were going to retrograde it for uh, seismic uh, earthquake proofing, and I was like, wow, if that thing if we had an earthquake right now, you know, that thing might fall and hit my car. And just as I thought that, a train went by and someone had graffitied onto it, Andy, get out from under there. <laughs> it, and there was a witness to this. I didn't, it wasn't a prank. It was a totally real thing. And my mind just went nuts with that. It's like, what does that mean? And I went back in time and I could see a, there was a time when I almost got killed by a rock slide. So was it referring to a past event or is it referring to a future event? Sometimes they refer to future ones, and I guess I'm hoping that one doesn't. You know, hopefully that just refers to that past event. But these things pop up, and they may be related to other events in your life. For instance, we were shooting a documentary in California last weekend on Weird California, and uh, I was helping shoot some of the footage, and the, the director... You know, I was kind of wondering how he'd gotten interested in the paranormal because he's from Australia. And I was like, I'll shoot a little bit of you when of you telling whatever paranormal story you've got. And he said, oh, I've only got one, but I, I don't want to tell it right now. You know, he was, it took until the very end of the shooting to get him to do it. But it was this one story where he saw a face smashed up against his window in the lower left-hand pane and freaked them all out, all the boys, his brothers and sisters, and then uh, they went back to the window, they got their courage up and looked out, and there was a glowing being standing out there, and then that freaked them out, and then the mother acted strange, like she was kind of in a trance, and nothing, it, it all becomes blurry at that point. Next morning, his name is written in the sand outside the window, and uh, there's like some strange residue over everything, like something had exploded or something. So, uh, and that's, I'm like, so I asked him, uh, did you have any other things happen? Uh, no, no, not really. Uh, so that, the, the issue here is that that image of a, of a person looking in your window in that spot is basically what you find in this picture that my sister took in 1973, which is probably, it looks like a Garuda looking in the window. And do you have reference for this online? Because I've tried to search that out. Uh, the picture is online. Uh, if you just do a Google search on my name, the picture pops up. But uh, I haven't done I haven't done a really focused uh, post on that picture and I, for a long time, and I should probably do it. And I will do it, actually. Uh is that what you mean, like finding the picture and the? No, I just, I, I just, you had talked about it and I had not seen it. Oh, and I'm okay. just, I'm searching right now. There's a picture of a, a guy holding a. Uh, what am I holding? I'm eating a sandwich or something. And you have a white T-shirt on and dark. Yeah, yeah. You kind of have to see the blow up of the actual pane of that window to see it really, really well, but. The thing is that he had already seen that he was a tr he was somehow attracted to my work, and bingo, there it is. When he's I and I don't know that he even realized it at the time that maybe seeing this strange thing reenacted 
in my photograph, or and his probably happened after my photograph. It's like my photograph is a precursor, actually, to something that happened to him and may have led him to be where he was that day, which was doing this documentary. And I just felt like that was like a synchronistic, synchronistic enough that you could say that means, and this may be a jump for some people, you could say that means this particular project is blessed or... Um, I mean, you could. I guess you could say, if you were paranoid, you could say, "Oh, that curse. That could curse your thing." But that's not been my experience with these synchronicities. They're usually positive. I've, uh, oh gosh, I've been at the receiving end of these same type of synchronicities, and it started for me just about four years ago. Initially, it really scared me. Initially, it really freaked me out, and I didn't quite know how to deal with it. Um, I'm still, I still feel like I'm at the receiving end of these same sort of profound synchronicities, and I, I'm a little more. Um, I, I just treat them as a little more playful now than I than I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sort of let's notice them and and move on. <laughs> That's the Buddhist uh, approach. Well, I guess I made notice. I, I think I just I, I pay attention. And and uh, and I try to think of them as um, little signposts along the path that maybe they they, um, they might not have a profound meaning, but they they may be able to just uh, point me in the direction at a fork in the path. Yeah, and I feel like uh, by noting them down, writing them down, putting them into a book form, I was able to move on from them easier. I think I did the I did whatever I was supposed to do with it. I was supposed to notice it. And I thought for the benefit of other people, if I could collate them, this would be a nice tool for, for everyone uh, that's interested in that topic. And and it does. it's very freeing because you're not living with it forever. You, you don't have to necessarily try to keep putting it together in your mind. You can put it together once, come to some conclusion that's temporary, and then Later, later you could revisit it, and I, and I go back and I look at the stuff I've done, and I'm like, I, I don't. Uh, some, it's like uh, I could never hold all of that information. It's hard to recall all the details. Hey, this is Mike interjecting during the editing process. I will uh, also agree with Andy. Uh, I have been documenting my synchronicities on my blog. He's been doing it in a book format. I've been doing it on my blog. And I think for the same reason, to try to make sense of them and try to quantify them, to try to document them and uh, to reflect back on them. Um, and I will also have to thank my readers because they are often much more insightful than I am. And I deeply appreciate their uh, helpful comments. Back to the interview. It's like, uh, it's it's the same reason that, that I do photography, really, as uh, to have a record of what has happened. And then within that record, I also try to do creative work where you're influencing events. So, you know, that's sort of our heritage as humans. I think we have the ability to change the future and we should try to exercise it. And But within a context of, I guess, having a compassionate approach to life. So not trying to change the world for worse, but for the better. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Here's a little thing. Just as you were speaking there, I was writing. Uh, I have a little clipboard here, and, uh, and I wrote uh, the creative process as something mystical. And I wrote the word creative 
exactly at the same time you spoke the word creative. Um, so whatever that means. <laughs> well, that reminds me. This is a fun. It gets really, it gets really random and and funny. Um, I was doing a show with Visigoth recently where I was. We're talking about the XX symbol, which can also be the Masonic compass and square. And also <laughs> the number twenty. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's it uh, that's a that's a hard one to explain. Uh, I'll I'll come back to that one. Oh, and that's one of the things that strike me about um, synchronicities that oftentimes they're so deeply personal in a way that that it's almost impossible to explain them. Walter Bosley is is really good about um, he seems really at peace with sort of like he he in essence says tell no one um, you know this is a deeply personal journey. And um, it might not do any good to try to explain them. Sometimes I've tried to explain some of the more profound synchronicities I've had, and, and they just get so circular. And in my own mind, they seem very profound, but when I try to articulate them, I just feel like I'm come off as the ravings of some sort of paranoid. Well, this one is is pretty innocuous. I can explain it. It's it's um, the double X. I was writing. I had my notes in front of me, and I had the double X in there to remind me to talk about it. And. Uh, and a strange light came in from the window. The sun just got just right. A little pinpoint of light came in and illuminated the XX. And it was it was bisected at an angle. It looked like 33 degrees from the top um, with two colors on each side, bisecting the double X. And someone else was in the car with me who saw it. I took a photograph of it, and I put it in... Uh, uh, I think I may have it on my blog, actually. But that was that was just a, a crazy synchronicity. Like uh, why? And that particular the person who was whose car we were in had earlier in the series that I was shooting, uh, we had been in a, a different car of hers, which was a Volvo. She was having all kinds of electrical electrical problems with it. She's a Mothman witness, so she has strange stuff happening. And the car was sent to to Sweden, and they couldn't they locate. They sent the car to Sweden. Yeah, wow. the, the engineer, engineers in Sweden actually said, "It's you. We have a few clients who who upset the electronics of the car." And this, so when we were filming, the car that that passenger window on on the Volvo was going up and down by itself. Huh, this and, is and that shows up in in like the UFO abduction lore, where people with uh, profound uh, abduction events in their life oftentimes cannot wear a watch. For instance, Whitley Strieber simply cannot wear a watch. It just he says they just ended up breaking. I have that problem too. They they run out fast. It's like I draw the power out of them or something, and the batteries. And this weird synchronicity occurred not too long ago. It must have been a somewhere a year, a year or two ago, where two of my watches both stopped at 11.11. Two at the same, like, two Yeah, watches. within, yeah, I, I discovered them both when the second one went out at 11.11. Well, and I'm trying to think, I think the second one was just sitting on the table and I hadn't looked at it in a while. So, but, the, you know, my, the watch I was wearing stopped at 11.11. I went to the other watch to wear it, and it was stopped at 11.11. Yeah, I never figured that one out. I, I, what the purpose or what 
uh, I mean, it basically got me going on the 11-11 story, which now has blossomed into this cr- almost industry where people, there's books out on, on it now, and I, I don't recall anybody writing about it prior to, and I, but there's probably examples out there that I just don't know of, that I had never come across it until, I guess it was two years ago. Yeah. That. Yeah. This is. It's interesting. About two years ago, I started getting plagued with the number one, two, three, four. That that's the number I sort of see. You know, I don't know what I don't know what the right word is. It, it seems to be following me, and I and I definitely take note of when that number shows up. I don't know quite what it means, but but I but uh, once again, I just pay attention. Well, once and once one of the numbers gets going around, you know, everybody starts getting it. And uh, I was doing a talk at the Mothman Festival recently and a guy puts his hand up in the audience and starts saying he he's lived in a house where mothman had been seen when he was young and i hadn't seen him in 30 years and he shows up at the talk and there he is and he's having these 11 11 things happen um he's probably the only person that mothman has touched he actually touched him Wow. And the Mothman, now let's, let's, uh, so you are known as the Mothman photographer, and that's kind of your moniker. Well, yeah, I came up with it, but this is another story. I came up with it because I wanted a title for my photography book. And I, I thought it was a cool idea to say, uh, you know, I got, I kind of got my, my eye from Mothman. You know, I got my ability to do art. And it was that kind of a thing. And then later, about two years later, one of my uh, Mothman witness friends predicted that I would be involved in a very famous photograph. And I have all those emails, and they're actually coming out in my in my next book, Mothman Speaks. But then about two years later, this photograph is sent to me by my sister. She's just sending me a bunch of photographs, randomly sort of, you know, here's a bunch of pictures. And then my three-year-old son looks at that picture and says, Garuda, and he points right to that face in the window. I would have never even known about the photograph. Uh, my involvement in the photograph is completely random. Uh, other than being at the house and my sister decided to take a picture of me when the guy who I just spoke of, the 11-11 guy, was there. He was standing there at the time of the photograph. So the guy who got touched by Mothman was standing <clears throat> behind my sister as she took the photograph. And this was in 1973? Yeah, and you know I haven't actually put that together and said that on the radio before, but that's that's really it. Is the guy, you know, the fact that he was touched by Mothman was standing behind my sister when the photograph was taken. The, the that window was always a window that I had dreams about that there was a Bigfoot-like glowing creature out there, which relates to the other guys, the, the Australian director's experience. Remember that he saw a glowing being outside a window. I always had nightmares of that window and those glowing beings. You know, the weird thing is that I call them nightmares, but, and, and actually there, was, there were parts of them that were nightmarish, like what's it like to have something look in your window is nightmarish, right? So for years I struggled with building up the courage to go to the window and look at the creature and finally stuck my head out, and I probably was in my 30s by the time, I started getting this down where I could go and look out and turn and see it. And so many of the dreams are just me getting to the window and looking out, and the minute I turn, I, you know, I lose it or wake up. 
So I finally was able to see it, and finally it turned into a dog. <laughs> I booked my Bigfoot, my dream Bigfoot, turned into a dog, and then that was the end of it. And dog is uh, often represented as Sirius, the uh, dog star. And that yeah. seems to show up a lot in the uh, oh, the UFO mythos. Yeah. And then it got a little weirder when my sister said, well, I've always dreamed of that window, too. And I've, uh, I've dreamed of a Bigfoot outside the window. And where the, this, this photograph was taken, it looks like you're probably about uh, 12 or 13? Yeah. And, and this, where, was the, where was the home? Where were you living at that point? Uh, Charleston, West Virginia. Okay. And how close is that to, like, the Silver Bridge? Uh, former location of the Silver Bridge, let me put it that way. About an hour's drive, uh, or less, if you're driving a little faster, it depends. But uh, by the crow flies, it's only 30, actually. There's a big bend in the river, is what happened. This is Mike, I'm interjecting here. I just looked up on Google Maps, and I made a little line, and as the way the crow flies, Charleston... West Virginia is 42 miles from Point Pleasant. There you go. Fairly close for Mothman, I guess, uh, or something. Yeah, just... and, and um, anyone who's listening to this program uh, who has made it this far and has sought out my podcast series, uh, I assume are familiar with the John Keel book and the events of 1967 in Point Pleasant, uh, Ohio, or Point Ple- Pleasant, West Virginia, location of the Silver Bridge and in, in the Mothman sightings, is that right? Yeah, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Uh-huh. Okay. And and it all culminated in a tragedy where the Silver Bridge collapsed on uh, in November of 1967? Uh, yeah, December. December. December 15th. And uh, it wasn't really a culmination. I think it was a culmination of something... But it wasn't the culmination of Mothman. It was. It kind of depends on what happened. If, I mean, obviously the bridge was not being taken care of. That was one issue. Uh, so maybe it was just a malfeasance issue. But you have to wonder why the malfeasance was it just normal corruption or was it ineptitude or I don't know, and maybe someone took advantage of that. I, one, my I guess, my recent, most recent thoughts about the bridge were that it could have been weakened by certain experimentation that was going on in the TNT area. If the experiment, experimentation that I think was going on there was indeed going on there, you know, some sort of an, anti-gravity research it might involve uh, uh, highly turbulent spinning. Uh, centrifuges that would, uh, they're known to have put out a wide array of waves that that can affect things profoundly, and that bridge could have been weakened by that, and that would explain some of the conspiracy theories that are out there about different rays being used. And it could be that the rays weren't being used on anything in particular. They were just a result of something that was perhaps being done. And where was this research taking place? Well, uh, it, it uh, all basically uh, along the Kanawha Valley, where it, from Charleston to Point Pleasant, there's a whole series of different uh, defense plants, sort of the breadbasket of the chemical industry, uh, at least until that time. So the 
conspiracy part of the story might involve you know that kind of stuff stuff maybe the a project needed to be moved and maybe mothman was causing too much attention to be drawn to the area i think that's the essential problem is that they were doing something secret mothman was causing a problem uh let's let's have some yeah maybe the, the bridge just collapsed on its own and they saw that as an opportunity to put a just put a damper on the mothman story even i mean because it could be that there were more sightings and we know there have been more sightings i mean that's easy to find out and it's easy to find witnesses that have seen him recently in that so, same area oh yeah yeah and i've got I, I met two or three at the last festival and these are people and this is the funny thing is that you can tell who they are i can i can spot a moth, mothman witness from you know 25 yards or whatever it's it's i did it three times i did it three times at the last festival and i was you know, with other people, and I'd say, somebody would come up, and I'd say, you're a Mothman witness, aren't you? And then, sure enough, and maybe that's not really the, the right way to approach witnesses, but, you know, I wasn't thinking it was a, you know, when you're at a festival, you're just sort of Yeah, you fun. have permission to, to, to uh, I've been to many UFO uh, conferences, and, and in that environment, you do have permission to uh, dispense with certain niceties and just get right down to the meat of things. Yeah, yeah, so... You know, they would have had to have, if they were faking it, they would have had to have come up with a quick story because they didn't know I was going to pop the question. So, you know, and they, these were dead-on stories with no elaboration. You know, I saw this, don't really know what it meant. And you can kind of work from there if you have time. You can talk to them more and find out what may have changed in their life, But and, and usually there is something going on. Something going on in their life like a, like a, uh, like a personal stress or a personal... Uh... Uh, some well, reason that they would have a heightened uh, crossover into something paranormal. Yeah, it's like a, it's like, it's almost like okay, you've got a population of people who don't have access to certain things in life. Uh, maybe they don't have a good school, or you know, and dad's working all the time, and and their life is sort of uh, traumatized. They're, they're experiencing trauma, little traumas and things, and. It seems, you know, the <clears throat> these creature sightings uh, do usually correspond with traumas and things. So often, you know, people said, you know, Mothman appeared when I was at my very lowest, and it 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 snapped me. It snapped at me. it like it it just turned on a, not a light or something. It, it in their mind, it uh it's 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 saying that um whatever you're in now can change because look you're seeing something that you shouldn't see you shouldn't be seeing so therefore uh reality is plastic and you you have some control and, and so it's like the people that i meet are people there that are moving they're like uh becoming more wise they're becoming more talented they're becoming, they're on they're going through a personal journey where they are growing as a human being, and this they have this kind of experience in in common. You know, this is something that I often think about. Which, which I, which uh, I mean, there's no formalized way that people interview uh, like a UFO witness. You know, obviously, Mufon has some questions that they ask, uh, but one of the questions that doesn't get asked, and I wish was, is to go back to those same people 
someone you know someone reports a ufo landing in their you know backyard and then uh, you know they fill out a report through mufon or some in investigator comes and asks them some questions but i don't know if that same investigator would return to the site a year later or five years later and say you know what's happened to your spiritual growth what's happened to your definition of reality what's happened to your to how you define um, your place in the universe yeah yeah that's really what i do that's my always been my interest now I have a sighting that I had, and this is very murky because uh, you know I would find it if someone wants to dismiss this, I can't really defend it because it's just my own personal memory. You know I didn't share the memory with anyone. I have no uh, nothing but my own thoughts. Uh, where I woke up in 1993, the winter of 1993 it was either January or February. I'm pretty sure it was January, and. It was the middle of the night, and I had a bright. There was a bright light shining in the bedroom. I was alone at my house, and I was living in Maine at the time. And there were um, five gray aliens standing outside my window, um, and they were walking towards the house. And they were backlit by something very bright. And the, the thing that was bright was was smaller than. It wasn't like a you know like a classic flying saucer or anything like that it was a it was a very small thing it looked like about the size of a of a hollywood movie light that was shining right at the uh at the in the window i probably saw it for 20 seconds and then i had this overwhelming i, I don't want to it's hard to define it whether it was a voice in my head whether it was my own voice i can't really say but the very clear distinct thought was now it's time to lay your head in the pillow and and shut down and I did that, you know, I saw this incredibly scary image where I should have, you know, ran in terror. I should have locked all the doors and grabbed a baseball bat to defend myself, but I didn't. I laid my head on the pillow and, and just went right back to sleep. Um, that was about the most profound sighting I've ever had. Uh, and I will say this, that sighting had a very mysterious kind of dream-like quality to it, though it didn't feel like a normal dream. And that took place at what was quite possibly the lowest point of my life, the most stressful chapter of my life. I would have been about 31 years old, and, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, so that, that just, that, that mirrors exactly what you just said. Yeah, and, and take a, take a, let's take a case like yours and use that as our test case. Those are hard to figure out, really. I mean, you have to sort it out, like, because uh, that is a common... I've never had, I, I don't, I've had dreams, I guess, of stick men, aliens, but, you know, clearly it was a dream. Um, but you're having this experience. Um, it's usually, I think, you know, it's a, it's a common archetype. Uh, I don't know why the alien has become, a, that's another question. I think that the choice of what archetype we use can be controlled by the media, by others. You know, just by propagating it so much, more people may now have an archetypal experience with an alien, whereas before it might have been some other being. And I've tended to have these with other beings. Like what type of beings? Well, like the Bigfoot. I mean, have you seen a Bigfoot? Well, no. But but the the Bigfoot stuff I'm talking about right now is dream stuff. Like, or I'm lying in bed, I'm not asleep yet. I start to feel like I'm being telepath too by the Bigfoot. This was just something that I sort of came to realize as I was going through my teens. But I didn't know it was a Bigfoot. There was no Bigfoot. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't have access to 
Bigfoot material, so I didn't really view it that way. I just thought it was some wild man in the forest or something. So, um, where was I going with that? Oh, it's interesting because these archetypes and these these uh, oh, you know, I, I very sh- I'm very hesitant to try to put things in boxes, and I think that the UFO experience. Uh, whether that be just seeing a, a light in the sky or, you know, full on, you know, contact where you feel like you're channeling from the, you know, uh, cosmic brotherhood and um, Zeta Reticuli, or whether it's some um, Bigfoot or Mothman or ghosts or uh, psychic premonitions. To me, they're all part of the great big pot of soup. And, I, and, I, and it's mysterious and, and seductive to try to research this, but, but in, from, from what I've sensed, you know, they're all interrelated. Well, it's a very important field of study um, because that's how we find out how to become enlightened again. If we can, if we can nail down the process of enlightenment or growth, we can make it happen. And and there are people out there that know that this. You know, there are. For instance, elites that know this. I mean, it's just not an unknown thing, and they set about to, you know, sort of uh, draw the lines on the playing field and make the rules, and everyone sort of follows it. But you know, it can be, it can get, you can have all kinds of creative visualizations, either waking or dreaming. It can lead you to the person you need to be with, or the thing that you need to do in life. Um, the passion that you need, uh, ways to make money. I mean, in the native culture, the Thunderbird witnesses are known for making money. You know, they're they're crazy. They're backwards. They do things backwards. They they heal people and they have prosperity. It's it's counter to what you're generally being taught or told about society that. The person who conforms gets the payout, uh, and and that's you know just sort of what they have to do. To we have to have that, I guess, to have a a large society that's producing things. But for some, the truth is that it's all uh, following your gut, which has. <clears throat> that's where all your ne- your neurons, <laughs> excuse me, are. That's your your link to the universe. And following your gut is actually as valid or more valid in getting you to wherever it is you need to be. And that's really it. Is that the goal is to analyze the experiences to figure out how to get to that place of peace or whatever it is that you're looking for where you can feel whole and connected to the source. Yeah, and, and you just use the term following your gut, and that is actually, that's really funny because that's a term I use all the time. Um, you know, there's a, a new age community that, that uh, is also immersed in these same topics, and I'm a little bit shy to take on their vocabulary and, you know, take on their, their uh, you know, use of sort of flowery phrases to describe things. It, I'm much more comfortable with terms like following your gut, you know, than what, what a someone in Sedona might, might you know, say the same thing using a different set of vocabulary words. But I very much have learned to trust my own gut. Uh, and do you, are you familiar with Jake Kotze? 
Um, maybe. He coined the term synchromysticism, and he makes these sort yeah. of funny little videos that you know have to deal with pop culture and, and all the little synchronicities embedded in them. And he's quite a mystical guy, and I, I, I had a long conversation with him, and uh, it's uh, I just posted it as a an interview about two weeks ago. And um, but he talks about the synchronicities and the events in your life, and he's he's said that you know it's his spiritual path to follow these synchronicities and he treats it in a very mystical way you know that he's you know this is his role is to to follow this and and in doing so um it's enriched his life greatly yeah um that's he sounds like me um i uh i do the same thing and because those are a causal events those, there's no explanation for that so it immediately ties it's a, it's your mind the fantasy of uh, whatever it is, or the reason you're we're alive, uh, you know, what's driving you uh, connects with that a causal event and makes you feel like um, that's a sign from the source. <clears throat> the source bypassed all of the normal filters that materialist society has placed for you, and it's tapping you on the shoulder. <clears throat> so it's very easy to to jump from that to other things, and maybe. Uh, as long as you're doing it with caution, you know, the synchronicity happens, um, your awareness is on it, you stay with it, you try not to grasp at it too much, um, so you hold it lightly, carry it with you, and you see where it's leading you, and then you become confident over time after you've done it a few times, you know, when you're on and when you're not. Now, you can have synchronicity synchronicities within your research, not just in your life. And so that's kind of where uh, it got so to be so fascinating to do these books um, is because I'm doing research on things that I'm interested in, problems I want to solve, ways to make society better, even if it's exposing a bad idea, which unfortunately we have, that's like 90% of the stuff you end up doing is trying to just get people to stop doing these ridiculously stupid things uh, to the environment or whatever. But those synchronicities within the research lead to the answers. That's the other cool thing. It's, you can do this not just with yourself, but with whatever topic you're on. And I just try to make my topic big so because I want to sort of figure the whole thing out. I'm ambitious, I suppose, but what's the connection between all the messages being sent around to us, uh, all the different business practices, uh, human habits relating to nature, uh, how does that stimulate nature, what's the interplay of nature with how we're doing things we're doing, uh, outer space, uh, like just cosmic issues, quantum physics issues, all painting a picture of what's going on. So it's like conspiracy. This is my, I guess, joke, whatever, uh, you know, punchline or selling point is conspiracy theory can lead to enlightenment. And that's almost the exact same thing that Jake Kotze would say. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to um, really look at his stuff. How do you spell his name? K-O-T-Z-E.
Okay. And uh, yeah, I'll I'll send you some stuff. And, and if you, there's a good, I actually I'll have to say it. I'm very proud of the interview that Jake and I did, and, and that's online, and that's a good to his mindset on these things. And he make and it's very funny because he he's a he's a quite a humorous guy. And he makes these these silly little videos that upon first viewing are kind of laughable, and you're like, well, what's he getting at here? You know, he just he just you know connect connects all these uh, these dots mostly through pop culture, and then ties it into you know, ancient Egyptian mythology and, and uh, you know, what's going on with, uh, you know, present day conspiracy stuff and, and the the pieces that he connects together are often very lowbrow. You know, it's The Simpsons, it's bad, uh, you know, science fiction movies and, and such. But um, he's saying underneath it all, there's a very profound mystical presence, you know, like some sort of voice that's there if you look for it. Well, The Simpsons is not... Um... Uh, an unworthy uh, focus of research, <clears throat> there's actually a Mothman connection there in the sense that you could say that The Simpsons has been, has been influenced by uh, perhaps a mothy uh, scenario in that one of my uh, close friends, a longtime friend who was involved in my story as a kid and has had Mothman experiences, her cousin is has written about 30 Simpsons episodes, and he's from that area that we're talking about, where you had these Birdman sightings, which I think were causing too much trouble for the authorities and drawing too much attention, but the Birdman sightings were opening the minds of, of everyone. The kids just, some of the kids were fascinated by it, you know, and I was, and it was like, you know, a superhero, and that I have found in my research many people from that area who have heightened talents. And, and, and it would be, you'd almost have to do a statistical analysis of it to really, you know, make this point. So, but I find them everywhere, and I keep finding them and finding them, and people that have risen to the top of some field who are from that area at that particular time. That's interesting, and I actually can think of a couple people that I know that um that fit that same bill um and both of them have uh profound ufo experiences and and as well as profound psychic abilities um and and they both uh one of them grew up um in the southeast corner of of uh ohio and the other one um her husband who also has psychic abilities and artistic abilities uh, and profound ufo experiences uh, grew up in that area and she lived there for a while well, it's important to talk about this because I personally feel that there's a bit of a, uh, I don't know what you call this, resistance maybe at a higher level to to ma- to making the connection between Mothman and UFOs more noticeable. And the reason you wouldn't want it to be noticeable probably is because it might put more light on the UFOs, actually. Like, what is the real purpose? Uh, why was Mothman showing up in conjunction with UFOs? And why does Bigfoot often show up in conjunction with UFOs? And why does poltergeist activity show up with, in conjunction with UFOs? And why does uh, heightened psychic abilities show up, well, then as the question, well as synchronicities? Well, it gets a little deeper then. You're like, okay, what if the saucer is a real saucer made by the government? Okay, then why would a Bigfoot be showing up there? So... The question that could be answered, though, could be that even regardless of whether or not you have a uh, quasi-hallucinatory craft, 
coming from the uh, collective unconscious or a nuts and bolts government craft, the government craft could be stimulating the same part of your brain. Or it could be stimulating the same part of like reality. You know, it could be using some uh, exotic propulsion system that we can only you know speculate on that um, does more than just make the craft float up and down. It somehow distorts time, which would then distort the actual dimension. And and does that mean that uh, a distorted dimension, uh, a distorted, a distorted dimensional reality, would allow these curious uh, mythic beings to to rush in yes yes exactly um and you're disturbing the earth even if you've got your craft flying above it uh and the earth may react by releasing quote planetary spirits unquote and then the mothman or garuda would be there to subdue the planetary spirit it sets off a chain reaction of spiritual activity it could and i think it does yeah, here I'm going to tell a little story. This is I'm going to I'm going to um, paraphrase a story that was told to me. There's a woman named Lucretia Hart, and that's a pen name, and she does a lot of writing. And I don't think she's ever written about her theory about this, but she's she's told me and uh, personally. And she and her husband, while living in Southeast Ohio, had um, a series of uh, UFO encounters with the Greys, and the Greys uh, would. Uh, you know, the classic gray aliens with the big heads and the little spindly body would come into the house mostly through the exact same spot. And it was almost as if they opened up a portal inside the house. So they, you know, like, you know, in essence, the wall would uh, get all f- uh, fuzzy. And then these creatures would just whoop, walk in through the wall. Yeah. And this was all followed by um, sort of poltergeist haunted house ghost type experiences in their house. And she later had an experience with um, these beautiful, Nordic, tall, very human-looking aliens. You know, she she paints a picture of these very, very beautiful, very loving, uh, very wise characters that that would show up. But they would land, uh, basically land a flying saucer well away from the house and then walk up to the house and then come through the front door. And she's now that I've heard that story, I would start to lean toward the nuts and bolts. Now she, now she speculates that the, the, uh, the nice, beautiful Nordics have a, uh, uh, like a, a responsibility to, to the poor abductee or the poor character they're trying to, to interact with, where they purposely land the craft far away because it doesn't disrupt their reality the same way that the these you know not so nice grays they just go ahead and open the portal right in the house and and um somehow this disrupts reality in a way that allows poltergeist activities to rush in um i don't know quite what to make of it but um i I think that's actually a really tidy bit of speculation on her part yeah it it could be that it's these are real dudes you know the indrid cold types who were nordic uh, some some of them, some of the early guys. What, what year was this? You know, oh, this would have been in the nineties, I think. Okay. Or early two thousand, maybe. I can't remember. Having, exactly. she's having experience and experience. It sounds like it's out of the nineteen fifties. You know, and where I would be inclined to think, you know, because I do believe I am starting to believe more that there were actual craft that they were flying around. Um, you know, like the that the Germans had come up with. 
and naturally they would have Nordic types you know, flying them. And then if you wanted to mess with the, <laughs> to use a non-scientific term, mess with the percipients, uh, you could do it very easily. And you probably would want to park your saucer away from the house, which is what happened with Woody Derenberger. Indrid would fly to a spot uh, out in along the river on a mountaintop, a little hill uh, next to the river, and meet Derenberger there, not because he cared for Derenberger, because he didn't want anybody to see him, you know, to, like, have no witnesses. And uh, we found the... the the spot, we think, uh, there's, there's an intersection in the road with some big fields there. That it's, I, it's, uh, I got the ad, you know, you can find it if you read the literature, you can find, figure out where this stuff happened. <clears throat> um, but, you know, you can spiral off into like, okay, well, it, let's say it was a real, these are real dudes driving government craft, and they go in and they interact with her. Well, what are they doing then? Are they hypnotizing her? Are they programming her in some way for who knows what reason? Uh, and and does that set off planetary spirit activity? I mean, the fact that you're messing with someone is not good, and I would imagine that whatever connection that person has to the source is going to set off a chain reaction. And and this is is the kind of place where an archetype who's benevolent and protective might come in and and say, you know, this is, this is no good. Leave this person alone. And it might manifest to that person in certain ways. It can get very complicated. Yeah, and, and um, speaking of complicated, I had an interview with, uh, I did an interview with Adam Gorightly, and um, I kept on trying to tie the interview back to these points, which I wrote down on the paper here. There is this bizarre convergence, and it does not show up very much in, like, the, uh, you know, pop culture literature. You know, it doesn't really show up in a Bud Hopkins book. But what it does show up, and when I have direct conversations with people, these elements show up, and I, and I don't know quite what to make of it. And um, the elements would be some sort of government involvement, some sort of occult involvement, UFOs, mind control, and then psychic abilities on someone's part. Yeah, yeah. And and th- that little, um, you know, those those five elements just seem to come up over and over and over again. And I don't know whether it's a, uh, I mean, the simplistic way to dismiss it outright would just say, oh, these are the ravings of a, someone who's delusional. But that's too simple a way to dismiss it, I think. I think that something is going on, and... Um, you know, you use the term, you know, spiraling off. You know, these these events take place, and somehow they spiral off, and somehow they they trigger these, oh, you know, confusing plot elements that are very perplexing when you try to try to make sense of them, especially when you try to make sense of them as a pattern where other people have the same things. And and does that mean that the government element is that the uh, is the government instead of um, you know, trying to invent a you know, a rocket that uses exotic technology, are they instead trying to develop some sort of psychic abilities and have somehow, uh, you know, opened Pandora's box and allowed uh, something very hard to define to to slip out and then alter the reality of the participants? Yeah, that happens. And, but... In the analytical part of this, we're sort of trying to figure it out. I mean, you can go 
different directions too. Like was because some people have different body chemistries, and body chemistry has something to do with this process. Um, your levels of uh, acetylcholine versus uh, adrenaline. If you get some elevated levels of those, particularly at the same time, you'll have uh, psychic pools open up in the brain where uh, it just changes the filtering mechanism for the brain, and the brain suddenly starts picking up more of the bandwidth than it normally picks up. And bingo, you got a psychic experience because you're suddenly using 0.0009 more of your brain than you were yesterday. And it's temporary and it goes away. So it can be stimulated by like drinking alcohol and smoking a, a, a lot of tobacco at the same time. That opens up a lot of people to having experiences. And then um, if you get into government involvement in it, then you've got a whole other uh, set of things to look at to figure out what's going on there and whether or not that's triggered something, quote, natural from an archetypal being or something. Or a situation where other people can have non-governmental experiences. Absolutely, where some people can be communing with angels and someone else communes with, you know, someone from the uh, secret government, which may, which in essence, I think presently, like in our, you know, pop culture, you know, I'm just thinking of, of, of uh, you know, lowbrow movies and, and uh, the X-Files and, and such, where the embodiment of all evil presently is not, you know, a red devil with horns and a pitchfork it's it's like the secret government i mean that's the plot element those are the evil bastards that show up in any science fiction movie yeah and and the awareness that, that there is a secret government while uh profitable or good uh, you know in in most respects also people can play with that idea any idea can be played with so you have situations where a researcher is being told, this is a real example of, of a researcher I know who was told um, by several people, uh, I had a dream about you and you were, part, you, were, you were in it and it was had to do with the secret government. So that phrase is out there. And it's one of these I was referring to earlier where you don't know the answer. Like what is the purpose of, if these people really had, if it's not an operation, covert op, and these people really had the dream about you, uh, what does that mean? And what do you do with it? And I said I thought it's a nonlinear thing because I know that, it, that that's how it works. Um, these phrases uh, and things like Andy get out from under there, it's nonlinear. So the answer will come later as to what that meant. Yeah, and it may come through an avenue that, that, that you don't even expect. Yeah, and it's but it also could be as simple as this researcher happened to probably at some point put out the idea somewhere on an interview or something that they had been around, you know, the secret government all their lives in various ways, just like people they knew and stuff. And that's you could you know, I had that. I have people that I knew living in the neighborhood who would have uh government affiliations and all that and that's just uh but you, it could just be that sh that's part of this researcher's story, and so people pick up on it, uh, something, and dream about it. They dream about the stuff in your books, you know. I, and the human mind is very, 
you know, it's 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 totally undefinable. That's where's that quote? I was reading a great quote by uh, a guru who was just describing the mind, and and it's 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 not anything you can define. It's not uh, it's literally no descript. There's no description for it. Yeah, and that's if you um, were to um, ask like a scientist, all you need to do is say define the mind and and they basically can't you know they would say like oh there's all these pragmatic reasons why we should never believe in ufos and it's just silly and we should dismiss all this stuff and and these you know folklore tales that come from these you know communities and uh you know that tell of, of mothman sightings and things should be dismissed with contempt but um then you just ask a very simple question something that we all interact with all day long all the time is you know how do you define the mind Okay, so um, I couldn't find the exact quote, but I found one, another one in my book, Mothman Photographer 3, by Ramesh Balsakar, who was a student of Ramana Maharshi, who famously just decided when he was 16 he was just going to move to the base of this mountain and stay there for the rest of his life, and uh, ended up becoming a, a sage in the... Uh, Nath tradition, which is a very stripped-down, uh, very grassroots-feeling Buddhism. It's the opposite of a Western church. He's sitting there waiting for questions. And, <clears throat> and it's through that process of saying, what is it not, that you get to what it is. So with the human mind, you could map all the areas that it's not, and then you might have an idea of what it is, although with the human mind, it's because it's partly the God mind, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, the human mind is everywhere, and you can't really uh, say what it's not. But for the purposes of teaching, uh, a, a beneficial way of they, that they do it is they have absolute ideas concepts and then there are relative concepts and you work with one or the other in your daily life most of the time we're in the relative state where we're relating objects together we're doing our you know you you drink the water you eat your food and all that and within that realm you have it's like newtonian physics that's where everything sort of happens in a physical way that everyone sort of agrees is is, is happening but then in the absolute realm which is hidden because it's more formless, um, everything's different, and nothing is separated, and, and, and so on and so forth. But you can't live in that dimension and be in the body. So, I mean, you can. That's the goal of the guru is to get there. So you really, that sitting in one place is not, not such a bad way to go if that's your goal. Just to sit there and figure it out. Um, to the point where you can live in the absolute realm while you're still putting food in. Uh, and usually by the time a person reaches that point where they have all that figured out, they're older and you know they, they'll often just sit there and not eat anymore, and then, uh, then it's over. But uh, Ramesh says, to questions asked by learned foreign scholars who are coming to his ashram, I often ask in all seriousness, who wants to know the answer? Who wants to know the answer? Is the questioner 
speaking to the person who asked the question, is the questioner the person he believes himself to be? Is there such a thing as a person, an individual entity with independent choice of action to choose a particular spiritual path? <clears throat> the main point in my teaching is that in the living dream of life, we are not the dreamed characters we think we are, but the dreamer. It is, it is our mistaken identification with the dreamed character that causes the illusion of bondage. By the same token, then, it cannot be the dreamed character, a mere appearance, who can become awakened or liberated. Indeed, awakening lies, there's the police, indeed, awakening lies in the dissolving of this appearance. Liberation consists in totally annihilating the false entity with which we have been mistakenly identifying ourselves. Who will make the efforts? A phenomenon? A mere appearance? Awakening it itself can only happen, and it can only happen when there is the utter conviction intuitively perceived that we are the subjective dreamer, not the dreamed objects that disappear with the end of the dream. To take this theme to its logical conclusion, the final query would be, how does this intuitive perception arise or happen? But then that is exactly the point. If the process would be within the parameters of intellectual comprehension, how could it be an intuitive one? Intellect is very much necessary to understand certain fundamentals, but there's a strict limit up to which it, intellect can go. Thereafter, it is only when intellect gives up all efforts, acknowledges total surrender, that intuition takes over. The final takeoff point in all cases is the total annihilation of the mistaken individual identity. And at this final stage, the miracle happens. The moment that the false identity is liquidated, there's nothing left to identify with except the totality. Devotion and knowledge are so inextricably linked together that they are in effect one and the same thing. Love for self and love of God are no different. Without self-realization, no virtue is genuine. We can only begin to love naturally and spontaneously when you arrive at the deepest conviction that the same life flows through everything and that you are that life. Such conviction, of course, can only come through an intuitive apperception. And nature will have its own course for this intuitive process. There's one more paragraph. I don't know if I should uh, go on or not. Oh no, that was great, and that's actually one of the things that that baffles me about this is that, uh, uh, you know, you start out talking about, you know, someone seeing a, a you know a giant creature, you know, West Virginia woods, and then you somehow bring it all back around to the ex you know the existence of the self and the existence of God and and the the mystery surrounding that, uh, you know, that's that's something that that continually uh, impresses me is that this path you know, trying to make sense of these paranormal events in both in my life and in the, and, and in the you know, the, the folks I talk to, you know, it requires you to go down those roads and, and uh, pursue life's grandest questions. He says here, the only, uh, the only thing one can do is always keep in mind that an independent entity cannot exist and that the entire manifestation is the functioning of consciousness in which each one of us has one's allotted role to play. Accept whatever happens within that total functioning with a sense of wondrous admiration. That's the sort of, a, sort of equivalent to the tantric Tibetan path. So it, you kind of have to get comfortable with the lack of definition when you're doing this kind of research. 
And, and that, that makes be hard. Well, it kind of makes for a funny group of people. I mean, this trip to California was was hilarious. The, the people, these people, have pondered these these other researchers have pondered the questions that we're pondering today for their years and years and years. And um, you kind of do get the answer. You know, really, uh, there there is kind of an answer as long as you're not trying to. I mean, there's so much out there. You can't resolve it all for everyone, and you can all you can do is, you know, sort of subjectively follow your path, see if the process seems real, and then you meet other people that have seen that the process is real, and there's just nothing but joy. It's just like everybody's happy that they discovered something about it that brings them in unity into unity with others. You learn to empathize with people that are having these crazy experiences, and they get a lot from you. And if you can help them, and uh, everybody's everybody's a winner. Yeah, and it's interesting now that it's 2010. You know, you you discuss this um, that meeting, you know, for, the, for this documentary film. And sure enough, just yesterday morning on my Facebook page, there's a, a photo shoot um, on. Greg Bishop's Facebook page that somehow gets posted on mine, and there's you know you, Greg, Nick Redfern, and Walter Bosley, and you know, and that that crew is is kind of the the crew that I I feel is most in line with my own set of ideas about this subject. Yeah, yeah. Something you said had me thinking there, and I, now I can't remember what it was. You started off with. Uh... Oh, Facebook, the Facebook page, and now that it's 2010? Yeah, yeah, I've got some photos up there that just went up yesterday from my, the, what I was, the shots that I took, and uh, so you might be able to, I don't know. Oh, it might have been uh, from your page, now that I think about it, but I think it was from Greg's page. But Yeah, it's, it's, this is my first uh, photo uh, show on Facebook, so, you know, check it out, because it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's funny, I hope it's funny, there's some. Uh, we kind of, you know, everybody was having a lot of fun and coming up with all kinds of uh, crazy uh, theories and fun theories, and you know, there were a few synchronicities and things. So it wasn't, you know, it was there was the energy was clicking. There, it was high, and I actually got reports from Mothman witnesses back east who were having very unusual weekends. Uh, you know, very lots of synchronicities, and I had a witness here in Seattle who was at a um, a, um, a cremation, like a shamanic. Uh, it was a dog that had died, and they, you know, went through the proper channels or whatever to get to have this cremation, ritual cremation. And the guy who owns the dog is in, uh, Ken Alton is in uh, my third book. Uh, he's had a lot of different paranormal experiences. Uh, healing... There uh, various healings, UFO sightings, a Mothman sighting, and it, it, he's a very uh, he's a lover of animals, and he sort of works through animals. In that he's a Filipino, he has a Filipino uh, extraction, and they his grandmother was a shaman, and uh, you know you can actually heal animals and things uh, where you sort of take on their illness. And he's done that before, and he just has this deep connection with this dog. And they all saw a bunch of paranormal phenomenon occurring as the dog was being cremated that same weekend. I just feel like, you know, 
this is kind of the way it is. There's there are these uh, windows where the uh, neurons are firing off in the universe, and you start to get more of this kind of stuff happening. And it was sort of that way for me. It was a lot of synchronicities and uh, positive, really positive stuff. Oh, that's good to hear because I think that there's a there's an underlying narrative that's unfolding where you know like there's a gloom and doom side to so much of 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 what people are saying and sharing and and uh and i'm very hesitant to go down that road yeah yeah because that's just the that's just the uh the regular old programming uh, that's being fed all the time so and it doesn't it doesn't help at all and it's I mean, this is a good a good dose of Buddhism is kind of you know necessary here. It's like and you were a Buddhist priest. Yeah, for a short time. Um, here, here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, you the the there's a series of three books in the Mothman Photographer series, correct? Yeah, and they're big yeah. books, aren't they? The, the the two and three are uh, number one is is a lot of photographs, and um, and there's also like a like a documentary project you've been working on. Yes, we're up. Yeah, we we're we're um, um, yeah. It's it's basically done. It's thirty six hours. And does that what does that mean? Thirty six hours. Does that mean that you plug in like a, you have a stack of CDs or DVDs on your uh, and then you just sit down for thirty six hours and watch it from beginning to end or? Pretty much. That's that's a requirement, um, and yeah, and you can't go to the bathroom. Okay. No, I mean that's. I mean, as far as uh, uh, that, that's a been, pretty ambitious been, documentary. There are several people who have uh, who have sat down and watched it uh, as soon as they bought it over the weekend. And the weekend and, is is it is almost is just a little bit over thirty six hours long. So you know, it takes well, it takes a certain personality who's into you know, that style, and it seems to click with the younger people. The, the director of the film I was I was just working on has watched it two or three times, and I think it's just sort of a... It hadn't been done before, I don't think, really, uh, when I started doing it. Uh, I'm, I'm a student of film, and things like it have been done, but it's, a, it's got its own thing going on. I'd like to... So, so, so three big about, books... Um... A 36-hour documentary. Now, this is this is that's pretty. I, I just want to. I'm trying to. What's what? How do you define yourself? Would that be some sort of obsession on your part? Um, that's part of the deal. Yeah, you know, uh, John Keel. Uh, he didn't say I was obsessed so much as he said you have to ask yourself the question: Are you, why are you so obsessed with this particular subject? And I could ask the same thing of myself, but keep going. And and that's part of the deal because you've got to go through that. If if especially if you've had an awakening experience of some kind, you need to stabilize it, move keep moving up, you know, whatever that means. And and that's where the Garuda comes in because that's his archetypal job. So I mean it's real this is old stuff and it's and it's worthy of uh of examination because it it works. Now here's a question: Do you feel compelled at all to pers- to follow this path? Pelled like compelled from an outside source. 
that's kind of a leading question. Well, that's how it was. It that's how it was. Sort of uh, when uh, sort of like 2005, but that was tied up with a bunch of personal stuff involving my significant other that was firing off all kinds of poltergeisty stuff. That you know, it's like the 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 higher the uh, change level, like if people are changing in your life. And you smell the train, you know, you, yeah, you hear the rumble coming down the tracks. Um, you know, the stuff starts firing off, uh, trying to alert you. That's just how the mind works, I think. And, you know, you get a sense that things are changing. You, you just ride it out, and then you're, you're over it. <laughs> oh, that's, so, and and uh, as far as, so uh, if I turn the clock back, um, 2005... Around 2005, 2006, more in 2006 maybe, um, uh, before that point, I, I, I mean, I never would have been asking these questions. I never would have been going down this, this avenue. Um, I hadn't looked into my own set of experience. I had been denying and avoiding and, and uh, I'd, you know, been interested in, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, UFO books around the house and, and, uh, and I was fascinated by the subject, but it, it was not a personal subject. And somehow... Uh, I passed through some membrane, and when I emerged on the other side, uh, I realized this stuff was completely personal with me. And uh, that's just interesting that you said, you know, that and 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 the uh, that you used the 2005 as as a year because around 2005 2006 I became compelled to follow this path, and this this blog and this this audio interview is 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 the culmination of or you know the present culmination that's where it's at at this point i don't know what it's going to lead to in the future i may drop it tomorrow and never look back but um uh you know this is this is part of you know what started in 2005 2006 well it's it's a great thing you're you're probably sharing a lot of stuff that's very helpful to other people and just so you know i have now here this is something i found out from doing the blog and doing the audio podcasting thing is that people contact me and, and in essence say thank you for your for being so open about this stuff and I have I've had other folks start blogs and then they say you know I'm talking about my own personal experiences because Mike Cleland was talking about his personal experiences and I take that I take that that, that to me seems as a responsibility I have and I take that very seriously I, I recognize that if you do it right you are you are engaging in therapy. And I mean, you are a therapist of sorts, and it may not be, you know, what your goal was or anything. But well, I'll it, tell you, my, originally my goal was was that this was a form of my own personal therapy. Uh, you know, like I mean, if you listen to the first couple of podcasts and 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 read the first year of my writing, um, you know, I was. Uh, you know, I might as well have been sitting on the psychiatrist's couch. You know, that's the way the dialogue comes off from my end. Well, that's that's. You know, people that have these uh, Hayokas that have had a Thunderbird experience are often healers. And the healing, you know, you can do that in different ways. The, the books that you write can be healing. The videos can be healing and, you know, funny. I like to, to, to do, you know, joke around when I film things because, you know, laughter is so healing. I mean, um, 
just all the laughter on this last trip was 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 just magnificent. It yeah, was, and that, and I was very envious. I would have loved to have been out in the desert with. I've met a handful of the folks in that in that 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 photo essay, and I've done interviews with with uh, with Nick and Sheikah and and uh, Walter. Yeah, it's it's it's. Um, may not you know? I don't know. For some people, it's it's uh, it certainly it changes you. It, it's uh, life altering in some you know at some level, and. It's, you know, and I was kind of joking about that actually at the time because I I do um, different forms of energy healing and those are things that I've studied. You know, and you have to go to class and get the certificate and everything. So you do energy and, healing, like for for like if I had a knee injury. Yes, I've I've combined two or three different things. You know, I learned some things in my Buddhist practice about healing because there's it's, it's almost like faith healing in the Appalachians, you know, which I I actually have seen faith healing before, you know, when I was young. And so I clicked with that aspect of it just because I think it's, I've always thought it was possible. I didn't necessarily believe the guys on TV, but I believe it's possible. And uh, then you find out that there's a mechanism for actually doing it that is backed up by quantum physics more or less, uh, where you can um, just connect with the with the uh, energy in the person's body, you're sort of just observing. You're letting your mind be a filter for some imagery that's, or or however you want to do it. Sometimes it's a feeling or a heat sensation, or different. Everybody has their own way, but you pick up the signals about what it is this person's needs. Like, what is the priority of this person right now to feel better? To, tear, to peel away one level of crud, you know, that's what you're doing. And you can only do them one at a time. But it involves, I also uh, understand hypnotherapy, you know, I have, I have a degree in that, and it's not, it's only something I do as, um, I don't want to have a hypnotherapy practice, I don't want to uh, necessarily, when, when, I, when I meet people, or I, I have friends that are having an issue that's outside of their normal scope, like I have, you know, everyday normal kind of American friends who, you know, believe in the doctor, and yet, you know, and then every now and then they'll have something that is not going well, and I will help, I will do a session, and it'll usually get better, and and there's been things like little, you know, tumors or infections, serious infections, and it's it's simply where you are asking their uh, subconscious what needs what's the priority issue today I, I personally don't try to I don't do that for money I'd rather not do it I, I, I will trade with people you know stuff yeah but. this is this is interesting because I've, I've you know this is something that shows up in you know and I'm coming almost strictly from the uh, UFO side of things where the people I'm interacting are people who have UFO sightings and such and this is something that comes up people who like to say they've just gained healing abilities from their experiences as well as psychic abilities as well as channeling abilities this is something that that doesn't get um, uh, written up in the pop culture literature and I think Bud Hopkins does excellent work and and um, you know all all the things that he's his conclusions should be taken seriously but um, you know these these plot elements don't show up in his research and it seems to show up in and obviously you're you're coming more from a 
you know, a Mothman side of this, this same phenomenon, and you're seeing the same data points in a way. Yeah, and again, uh, with Mothman, it's, I, I, my mantra of the month is, is Mothman equals UFOs. I mean, Mothman was, it's, you know, it, you could almost say it's either he was, if these are shape-shifting gurus who are turning into gurus, which is one theory, they, then they do travel in spheres of light. Some of these could have been people seeing <laughs> gurus flying around in their non-Mothman form or they could be government craft, and then there's uh, Mothman is there to be the protector to help people figure out what's being done to them, because uh, that's you know a lot of the prophecies had to do with uh, political events and things uh, relating to uh, the health and welfare of the grassroots uh, American, I guess. Mm -hmm. So this has gone great. It feels like we're just barely scratching the surface. I would love to have you back on uh, in no hurry on this. At some point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, encourage you to come back on. And I would love to discuss like really pragmatic life events, like you know your own personal life events. This conversation uh, has, has delved more into you know, the bigger picture and less into the, uh, to the you know, memories and, and things you've heard and you know, Mothman reports. And so to summarize, like, what got me going on this, so uh, people will know that haven't heard it, is, is that in, uh, when the 911 events happened, I realized that I had my uh, friend from uh, childhood had accurately predicted it. And that, you know, just sort of blew me out of my seat. Here's a question. Are you still in contact with this friend? No. No. He, uh, we don't quite know what's going on. We've, we've talked to the mother, his mother. She's, uh, uh, for whatever reason, not uh, interested in having it. Uh, she's got a, she's got a, a position at NASA, basically, and okay. can't, can't talk about it. Doesn't want anybody to, you know. And and he actually worked for NASA too, at least for a period of time that we know. Okay. No, but uh, another, you know, after he moved, another guy moved in, and that other guy is the guy that uh, has been coming to the festival recently. He lives in Point Pleasant now. Uh, so he's there to say, you know, something touched me. And so that's, you know, it's, it's a strange thing. It's like the original guy is not around, but we still have other people who have, you know, come forward to say that that's what happened. And he said, you know, I didn't tell anybody for years about that because he, he just figured people would just laugh him out of the room. And he's probably right. Yep, and I think things have changed. I think that there's still folks that would laugh him out of the room, but just from my own direct experience coming forward with these paranormal stories, people are generally pretty receptive. And, and again, all these people, including him, have special something. They have a special something. Like my first, uh, my first love in, in, was, was Kathy Matea, who became a big country star. And I had completely lost track of her. It was just one of those sad things. And I lost track of her completely and just recently found out who she was, who she'd become. And this guy I'm talking about who lived, lived in the house is a riverboat captain on the Ohio River, and he's just, you know, a very charismatic uh, supervisor type of person who can uh, bring people together and get them to do important stuff and there's 
a lot, of, a lot of these people just have a charisma or something that that they're getting from the experience. It's a confidence that of some sort, like there's help. Help sometimes comes. I mean, just knowing that help might come, as abstract as that is, you know, can mean a lot. Oh, so, so anyway, the, uh, the story of the uh, the events, and this would have been in the late 60s? Yeah, yes. Um, yeah, it started for me in Christmas time, 66, and then Tommy, uh, who's had the 911 precognition, uh, saw a, a UFO in 1967, and then Harriet saw Mothman in 68, and and the guy who lived the guy who lived there also saw Mothman too. So, and and I thought I saw something flying behind our car in a very strange environment one night, just atmosphere. It was really weird. Uh, but then in 73, at the same place they had seen Mothman, I saw this thing come out of the tree, and that's the same place where the guy, the 1111 guy, was touched by it. Same exact spot. So these these forces are sort of tied to certain areas, and you walk into them and you become part of that uh, vortex reality. And it probably it probably only fires off at certain times. You, you know, you're there at the right time, and you're blessed by something that you can always that always you know, breaks the conscious mind, uh, the, the wheel on the, the, the squirrel on the, or the, you know, on the, on the, uh, on the little treadmill, the treadmill. Yeah. It breaks that. That's a, that's a, that's an event you can't, you can't uh, wrap your head around. So it opens in a way it opens up a doorway to, to the cosmos in that way. It keeps the door open. Yeah. Well said. Awesome. Thanks. And yeah, great to finally meet you. Yeah, it was it was Adam Gorightly who who kept on sort of needling me and saying like, "Oh, you got to talk to uh, to this guy Andy." Great. Well, thanks so much, and good luck. Okay, with thanks. Bye now. Good luck. All right, bye. Hey, this is Mike here. I'm chiming in during the editing process. This interview is not quite over. I am attaching uh, a small little segment, uh, probably about three or four minutes long, where Andy discusses the events that took place in 1967, I think. This is an edited excerpt, and I took it from Erie Radio, which is an online podcasting show, and it is episode 60, and I will also include a link in the show notes to that episode. Uh, I thought this short little clip was, was very helpful because it explains some of the things that Andy talks about in the show. And I apologize that uh, we got into such uh, sort of metaphysical stuff rather than the pragmatic Oh, citing reports and personal experiences. And I hope this short edited clip of Andy explaining his, his personal experiences helps uh, paint a better picture of, of his, uh, his story. Here goes. Uh, well, uh, when I was young, I, had a, I lived in, uh, in the area where Mothman was being seen. And uh, a friend of mine was uh, an extremely intelligent kid. He he was already intelligent before Mothman came around, and then some of us sort of had uh, increased uh, abilities after we had these experiences, but he was just sort of always that way. And he clued right into it, and he was saying, yeah, the Mothman's coming to visit me, and 
and he's showing me things and so on and so forth. And I was very uh, skeptical. And uh, one day he dared me to stand in a certain spot, and he said, "Well, if you do this, you'll uh, you know you'll see that I'm telling the truth." And he said, "This is a vision of 2001, and there there will there will be an attack on New York City, and it'll be the start of World War III." No way. And I stood there, and I saw something like that. I saw some buildings exploding, and and then I it it all was so it was so powerful and so scary that I I black I sort of blanked it out. I don't you know I don't remember much else about it. But I kind it's kind of later in life I had a near death experience where I almost got killed by a rock slide and my <clears throat> life started flashing before me my right. eyes uh huh and it was very much like that. Wow. I think the two things are actually almost identical. Wild. So. I, like I kind of picked up a couple of clues about my life after that event, but uh, actually after uh, after nine one one and I uh, when I started doing these photos about the Mothman, I I was uh, that title was just basically to say, hey, uh, it, it refers to the fact that after I saw Mothman. Actually, I didn't see Moth. You know that event in, that I'm telling you about with 911 wasn't when I saw Mothman. I saw him five years later, at that same spot. After another kid had moved in, huh. and I was friends with that kid as well. One night, bingo! This thing comes out at me, and uh, so I. After that, but after my initial uh, vision experience, I started to draw and uh, really well. And this overnight, I suddenly could draw and paint and take photos. And I was took a ton of photos when I was eight and nine years old. And so it was a reference to that. It was like the I got the ability to, to, to be an artist from Mothman. So it was that kind of a title. But then later, in 2004, my son found, my sister sent me this photo with uh, just a random shot of me when I was, when I had seen that creature that same summer, it was a picture from 73, 1973, when, I, when that thing had come out at me. It had followed me home, I think, because she took this photo, and there's this thing looking in the window, and I would have never have noticed it if it wasn't for my son pointing at it, and he said, there's the Garuda. And this is a three-year-old child saying, oh, there's the Garuda. And, I, and he must have just overheard the words. I mean, to, I'm trying to figure out how he even came up with that name. He must have overheard it somewhere. Huh. Like I had said it to somebody. But how he knew what they look like or anything is kind of incredible. He's clued in something. What what is the Mothman? Uh well, I you know, he's like uh, he's one various forms that this energy takes. This phenomenon, it, it's, uh, it's like, um, you know, like in 1922, I've been finding recent, you know, other little sightings. In 1922, somebody saw a UFO fly over, and it landed, and it changed into the Mothman. Well, that's and odd. So that's like, he's like a ball of energy that can look like a UFO or look like a Birdman. Hey, this is Mike chiming in again. And in summation here, I uh, uh, this guy Andy, in a curious way, reminds me a lot of me. 
uh, I think we're both a little, um, well, I can speak for myself. I'm very scatterbrained at times, and I'm all over the map. And this conversation was, uh, I feel like we jumped around a lot. And I do very much want to follow up at some point and, uh, and do a, a more pragmatic interview where we touch on his direct experiences and the direct experiences of people he's talked with in his research. Uh, anyone who has made a 36-hour documentary on the Lamoth Man, boy, that that um, that perks my interest. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I hope you got something out of it. If you've made it this far, thanks for listening. Bye now.